61% of the buildings on Long Island do not have one black teacher. A lot of districts say we cannot find um, minority teachers. It does not make sense to me. Listen, to be a black teacher is hot stuff. <laughs> what does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome to this week's edition of The Debrief. I'm Pat Battle sitting in for David Ushery, who's enjoying some much deserved time off. And I do mean I'm sitting in because, of course, nobody can fill the shoes of such a gifted and brilliant journalist as David is. But I'll do my best. For the last several podcasts, The Debrief has been tackling the issue of race in America, issues of inequality and injustice. And this week, we get a lesson on the disparities in education specifically on Long Island. Here's News 4's Greg Circle. Educators love to say a good teacher can change a kid's life. Quentin Thompson is living proof of that. His class was like probably one of the most fun classes I took in high school. And ever since that class, pretty much, she's been like a mentor, like almost like a close relative to me. Thompson forged his bond with teacher Aaron Johnson after hearing a white student at Bayshore High School use the N-word. Johnson was one of the few black teachers there, and Thompson thought it made sense to seek help from someone who would understand his anger and pain. He always kind of like showed me like the bigger picture with things and like especially in high school where like I cared a lot about people's opinions and such and like you know I I you know I I worked hard and I knew that you know I had to but I never really understood why Mr. Johnson really gave me that guidance. But as natural as this relationship seems, it is shockingly rare in Long Island schools. 61% of the buildings on Long Island do not have one black teacher. Larry Levy helped author this 2019 Hofstra University study on teacher diversity. And you heard right, six of every 10 Long Island schools have zero black teachers. Levy says the study confirms Long Island school segregation and systemic racism. Hey, hey, ho, This year's Black Lives Matter protests have promised to change all that. But as with so many systemic issues, this one runs deep. The Hofstra study found that in 2017, 92% of teachers are white in a region where roughly 45% of the students are non-white. They couldn't really accept that I was the person in charge of the classroom because it wasn't something that was normal for them. Lorraine Richardson McCray has been a Long Island teacher for 15 years, one of the few women of color to make it into a Long Island classroom. Things were fine until I showed up. <laughs> and then of course they go, oh, you're Mrs. Scott? <laughs> Brenda Joyce Scott says her skin color cost her education jobs to less qualified candidates. Now the retired educator is working to help teachers of color secure and retain Long Island teaching jobs. We need a population of teachers that is reflective of the kids that we serve in each of these communities. This longtime school superintendent says educators recognize the problem and since the study was released have increased recruiting of minority teachers at job fairs and city universities. I have my own child and my child has never had a black teacher. But the president of the Latino Teachers Association says it's clear without a push from New York State, 
Revamping Long Island's education system could take years. There has to be mandates, more monitoring, more enforcement, uh, because without that, I don't think sometimes people have the motivation. And now advocates say the pandemic is slowing progress even more. Educators are shifting their focus to more pressing issues. But the advocates insist change can't wait. One national study found that having black teachers in elementary school increases the chances that black students will attend college. Thinking about it, like if you go your entire life not meeting an actual person of color and only going based off what the media shows you of what a you know, person of color actually is, all these issues that we're facing in our country, not really having the mentor to really look up to, to kind of push them to really optimize their potential. Greg Sergal, News 4 New York. And joining us now on this podcast is Brandy Scott. She is a longtime educator on Long Island. She spent 28 years in the classroom and another 15 in administration. She says she retired, but she just retold herself and she is still educating, but on a whole different level. Welcome to the debrief, Brandy Scott. And I'm still in the game uh, working with teachers, uh, teaching occasionally myself. Um, I'm really, really, I'm passionate about education and teaching. I'm passionate about it. And um, I really feel that it's so important to have a teacher of color in the classroom. I've seen the difference it makes in how students look at themselves. Uh, I've seen the difference it makes, it makes in the way they actually achieve. I come from a long line of teachers, my mother, my sister, my aunt, every, so I know exactly what you speak of, you know, and it's also that you're not just a teacher, you're a family, you're a social worker, you're a shoulder, it's, there's so much, and if somebody doesn't walk to that same beat or, you know, it's a whole different thing that they bring to the classroom. Right, and what I found also, too, with, um, especially children of color, often their parents um, are so busy working and involved in trying to survive day to day, all right, as far as making economics and whatever. That when it comes to the academic part of it, often uh, minority students do not have that extra person to, to guide them along a good academic path. And I think that having a black or teacher of color, it makes that student strive to be the best they can be. And they're so proud when they, when they actually realize there's someone who believes in them and who's going to be there to support them. I can't tell you how many kids I've, to, I've tutored, you know, after school or whatever, all right, or meet them in the library on a weekend and say, listen, you know, you got to see you're not doing well. Um, Mrs. Scott doesn't like that. And often when you do that, they realize, oh, this adult really cares. And I hate to say it, but sometimes in our system here, particularly on Long Island, children of color do not have teachers of color. And sometimes because of that, their expectations for themselves and what they think they can do is often limited because they don't have that other person to push them, to encourage them. And to have the higher expectations of them. Right. And as a minority teacher, too, you know, there's certain, th certain things culturally, all right, that uh, just are not acceptable. All right. All right. And that's uh -huh. what, all right. Whether you're a black student or a Latinx student, there's certain things culturally that are not acceptable. As a teacher of color, you know what those little things are. So you're not going to push or cross that line to make that student become aggressive or angry or to withdraw. That can happen also. You, you right. know, you can sort of feel, you know. And so you know how to handle them. I can't tell you how many times I've seen some of my colleagues send a child to the principal's office. All right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm like, 
Why did they send him? And usually the reason is they could not handle that child in their classroom. So rather than dealing with the, the child of color, they send them out mm-hmm. to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And when that child goes to the principal's office too many times, they themselves begin to think less of themselves and they become angry. The next stop then is the detention room, right? And then, then the next stop is a superintendent's hearing. And before you know it, the child's on a negative road academically, all because the teacher didn't understand the signals of the culture of that black child. And, and your, you know, your anecdotal um, experience, your but, but very valuable experience, is backed up by the statistics. I, I think it was uh, Johns Hopkins that uh, conducted a study that found that just having one black teacher before third grade yes. increased the odds of a young, especially a young black man, black man. graduating and going on to college. Thirteen percent more likely to go on to college. Two teachers before that time, it triples the number to thirty-two percent. Right. How can we ignore those numbers? Right. I saw that study and I found it very interesting. And uh, I was glad the study was published, but then it made me very sad in that it's very difficult now to get male, black or Latino teachers to come into teaching. Mm -hmm. Very difficult. All right. And I think that's because um, often uh, if they go to college, different colleges, uh, corporations are offering them a higher rate of pay. But I see the difference. You see how the kids relate to them. They run up to them, even if they're not in their class. That male teacher becomes a surrogate parent. Absolutely. That teacher helps that, that boy to socialize, be socialized. And also to keep that, that uh, boy, particularly as a teenager, in check. Do you also find that, I, I, I know you taught on Long Island primarily, I don't know if it was in the same district, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that how often are you, when in early on in your career, were you the only black teacher in the building? Was that ever the case for you? Yeah, oh, please, yes. Uh, I started my career, believe, believe it or not, in the city of New York. I taught one year at um, Bronx Science, and then I taught another year at Aviation High School. I was the only person of color at Bronx Science, and there were two other people of color at aviation at the time. All right, so, and I taught um, at aviation, I taught global uh, studies at the time. And funny, I had primarily Spanish speaking and uh, Chinese students. But other students would come and flock outside the classrooms to peek in, see what was going on. That's what Scott doing now. <laughs> That's it, right? I had, some, I had some strange techniques, all right? And so they would peek in, and when I decided to work with those students in that environment, the students of color and others flocked to the key club because they were curious. And that's where they learned to work together. Because here I was a personal caller organizing it, but I made sure they had to work together. So a lot of white students who lived in all white areas had the experience of working with their peers who are a different color and their teacher was black. But, but you know what? That's an opportunity to be a positive role model for white students and help break down those stereotypes, right? And let them see a black a person of color in a leadership role and a role that commanded respect and, and a role where you're the intellectual in the room and they're learning from you. How valuable is that? And it's more valuable, too, if you have, uh, particularly on a high school level, if you're teaching certain courses, such as U.S. history, all right, or uh, global history and geography, teaching those classes and you are a person of color, you tend to bring into the curriculum pieces of academic 
information that may not have been included by a person of color. Uh, and I think that's extremely, extremely important for white students in particular, and it's extremely important for black students because often they don't know their own history here in this country. Or they have, the, they have a history in this country, but it's from a European perspective. And it's some negative European perspective. And so they feel ashamed when you start talking about slavery. Some students actually feel, you can see them cringing in their seats. Slavery has always been such a negative um, topic. And they feel, oh my goodness, here we go again. And they, you see them sometimes squirm. When they realize that you talk about enslaved people in a holistic and you get more information, on the impact, not just here, but in Africa, and the long-term impact, and how some positives came out for the enslaved people, and that it made them stronger, and made them much more in tune, seeking education. Believe it or not, they would give up their lives for education and the vote. When they realized those two things, really because of enslavement, was why people are so adamant today. Some of their parents or grandparents are so fanatical about, you have to go to school. There's a reason, a historical reason why that's so important to the African-American uh, family. And then once they understand that from that perspective, then they are like, hmm, all right, hmm, we've helped build this country. That's right. And we deserve to get our fair share. And hmm. And usually sometimes they'll go and they'll investigate and actually start to read on their own, which I find that's very nice. Uh, another thing I think is very important is for Black teachers to bring other Black professionals into the classroom. I know when I was doing U.S. history, whether it be in, in a uh, district that was all white or a district that was integrated, I made a point to bring in Black and Latino professionals into the classroom. I also think Black teachers can change the focus or tilt the curriculum or activities of a school district. I think the more teachers you have, they can sit on those curriculum councils and just help decide what books are being purchased. Listen, to be a black teacher is hot stuff. <laughs> well, you certainly are hot stuff. No, I, I enjoy it. You can tell I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. I see that, which is, I guess, why you stepped out of the classroom, retired, but retooled, as you put it. Yes. And now that's your mission to continue to educate, but on a different level. And I want to thank you so much, Brandy, for joining us on this edition of The Debrief. Your contributions are invaluable, both in school and out, because you certainly schooled us today. And I appreciate and hanging on every word. Thank you so much. Well, Pat, I would like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, speak with you. And I hope this really motivates other uh, young people of color that going into teaching is a wonderful occupation. The rewards are just not monetarily. The rewards you see in the change of people, you see the development of people. And we need, we need them. And so if I can inspire somebody else, I hope I do. We want to bring Daphne Irizarry into the conversation now. She is the founder and president of the Long Island Latino Teachers Association. So on this issue, Daph, uh, you've been a teacher for a very long time, 26 years uh, in public education. And I'm sure you've noted that the growth of the Latino population in our schools has increased exponentially. And I'm willing to bet that the number of teachers has not kept pace with that. Would you agree? 
Agree. Agree. When we listen to Greg Serbel's story, you, you talked mm-hmm. about the fact that you felt that this had to be a mandate from the state, that, that for more Latino teachers, that, that it wasn't going to be done simply as, as an awakening of some sort um, within the higher levels of education or on a local level. No school principals looking and saying, we need, you know, to hire seven Latino teachers next year. I, I, I agree. It has to be required by the state. It has to be funded by the state and it has to be monitored by the state. It has to be very intentional from the uh, higher levels all the way down, because otherwise it's not going to get done. We've seen it. We've seen it. Uh, For example, you know, a a lot of districts say we cannot find... um, minority teachers, Latino and black teachers to hire. That's one complaint that I that I hear constantly. It does not make sense to me when you have districts that have large student population with minority students that you cannot grow your own teachers in that community. It does not make sense. So why are we not growing our own teachers? Why isn't there a comprehensive or coalition, uh, cohesive effort from the state all the way to the locals to make sure these communities have the supply in terms of teachers that they need because they have the student population. How could they not have the teachers? And it's not for lack of models, right? You look to Boston, where back in 2017, they started a project and it was very, very successful um, growing your own, identifying kids in the high school level who they thought would make great teachers and then giving them a mentor and encouraging them and even paying parts of their tuition, if not full tuition, to go to college. And that program seems to have worked. Has it not? Are you familiar with it? Yes, that program has worked. There are other programs in, in, in Washington, in the state of Washington and other states also that recruit them even earlier on, which I think, and it's what I'm proposing, from fifth grade on, there should be an effort to do that, to recruit students who have shown potential to be great teachers uh, and expose them to opportunities. This is in the best interest of everybody. When you, I think the operative phrase that you just spoke was identify. And if you're not looking at a child and looking at that child's potential to do something, if that child, if there are other barriers, be it language, culture, or, or simply being able to look at a child and say that child would make a great teacher because that child may be a little bit more reserved in class because they don't uh, identify with everything that's going on in a predominantly white classroom or a classroom where the teacher is not looking at them the same way they might look at a white student. Would you see that as a, that's, that's an immediate barrier. Uh, if, if no one can identify that child, that child will never be pulled out and then sent to the ranks of what you speak of as, as this pool of potential candidates. Yeah, if if you're not looking at your children's potential, then you are never going to see a teacher or anything else in that in that you know uh, child. One of the things that I sometimes struggle with is I don't want people to look at our Latino students, our English language learners, our immigrant students uh, as victims. We are not. We just need to be given opportunities so we could thrive because we do have the same talents. We might not have the language yet. We might not have certain opportunities yet, but we do have talents. The minute you start thinking that that group of people don't have the same talents as this group of people, then we're talking about you're not 
thinking of us as equals. When you look at someone as intellectually inferior or anything else, you're not looking at their potential. And if you have a group of students that they're only looking at teachers who are not uh, from the same background as them, ethnically or linguistically, culturally, uh, and then that teacher is not looking at them as you you belong in front of the classroom eventually, then you're never going to create that kind of initiative of you belong, you belong here, you belong in front of the classroom. Uh, and this is critical not just for our uh, minority students, but our, our white students as well. They Absolutely. Need to, they need to see what power looks like. And leadership. What, and leadership. And what we see is that, as I said in the piece, my son has never had a black teacher. And the only Latino teachers that he has had is in his Spanish class. But outside of that, what message are we sending him when he's not seeing people of color in power? If they've not been exposed to those others, then it leaves us all at a dearth. Mm -hmm. Daphne Arzari, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of The Debrief. Your points are, are so well taken, and I hope your message carries uh, far beyond Long Island and, uh, and beyond. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Take and we want to thank you for tuning in to this edition of The Debrief. And of course, we've got to thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Pat Battle, in for David Ushery, the real host. We'll check on you next time on The Debrief. <laughs>